Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. And away we go on a Friday morning. This is Scoops with Danny Mac. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Colin Surrey is always our producer. Long Gone Summer makes its premiere this weekend on Sunday night on ESPN. We will dedicate this entire hour to the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Our crew on 101 has just done an incredible job of bringing you many of the people that were involved in the summer of 1998. You will hear from former teammates, the people responsible for creating Long Gone Summer, and of course, Big Mac himself. Now, baseball, as we know, is a team sport, but the summer of 98 brought us one of the best individual storylines the game has ever seen. The director of Long Gone Summer, A.J. Schnock, joined Carriker and Smallman last week. It's so unusual for baseball. You know, the the thing we think about baseball always is the, the team aspect of that sport. And to have this individual uh, accomplishment, this individual achievement between uh, this battle for a record between two guys happening right in front of you. You know, people describe them, you know, as, as you know, gladiators fighting each other in the in the arena, you know. I mean, this is a this is not a typical baseball uh, moment and yet it because of how they both approached it, um, it brought out some of the best of what we think of in, in baseball and the traditions of baseball and how it connected to previous generations like the Maris family. Um, it was it was definitely not just a baseball event, not it was a national event that uh, dominated headlines. It was front page news all over the country. And you're right, ESPN was breaking in. And I know myself and lots of people, you know, you'd tune into Sports Center every night or first thing in the morning to see, you know, did these guys hit a home run last night? Um, because, you know, you couldn't pull out your phone <laughs> and look at, at your screen and then have it tell you, like, immediately at the time, you know, like whether or not one of them hit a home run. But as that season progressed, it, you wouldn't even have to wait for Sports Center. It was coming on local radio here in Los Angeles, where I live. It was, um, you know, being talked about on the streets. Oh, did you hear, you know, McGuire hit 60, you know, five last night? Uh, should have had 66, but they called it back. Uh, that kind of conversation was happening in a way around sports that I had never heard before that, um, and I, I haven't heard since. It wasn't all fun and games for Big Mac. However, former major leaguer Steve Stone joined the fast lane and spoke about how difficult that situation was for McGuire at that time. Well, I, I think there was one situation, if you recall it, and I'm not sure if you guys were around St. Louis at the time, but there was a time when Mark McGuire uh, had said that he actually felt like um, he felt like an animal in the zoo and he felt like going out there and taking batting practice um, and having everybody around watching was to him distracting and not particularly enjoyable and there was a time when he thought about actually taking batting practice strictly inside you know hitting in the cage taking his batting practice then going out to the game and I think what happened really I think the personality and the way that Sammy dealt with what was going on at the time, Sammy was using, using great deflection techniques at the time. Everybody would go to Sammy and say, you know, they'd say to him, hey, you know, you're in this home run race, it's great, and you're doing this, you're doing that, and he goes, no, 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 you're, you're, talk, you're, not, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy. Uh, go, down, you know, go down and talk to Mark. Mark's the man. I mean, he's the guy because Mark was leading pretty much the whole way. And he goes, he's the man. You know, he's, 
talk to Mark McGuire. He's the man. And Sammy, in his own way, Sammy was not one of the smartest men around. However, as a public relations guy, he was outstanding. He really was. I mean, and he realized that if he could take some pressure off him, uh, whether he put it on Mark or not was irrelevant. But um, he thought he would be better off. And so I think, and, and I can only guess at this because I wasn't privy to what was going on in St. Louis at the time, but I think eventually somebody got to Mark McGuire and said to him, because if you go back and you look at quotes from that year, stories from that year, and everything that went about it, all of a sudden I think somebody got to Mark McGuire and said, hey, Mark, there's a guy north of here about 300 miles, and he's got a smile on his face every day, he loves the fans. He lets them know it. He embraces each and every home run. He keeps talking about you, and he keeps having the time of his life this year. You are losing whatever public relations battle there is, and this guy is capturing the fancy of all the fans. So maybe you want to rethink the way you're approaching this. And then Mark started to engage and enjoy the chase. And then you have some brilliant moments that came out of 98. I mean, you know, the, the hugging at the plate with his son and uh, Sammy's hug for Mark. And, and it became a gigantic love fest, but it became something that Mark embraced. He just didn't embrace it all year long. And for quite a, t- quite a, quite a while, he didn't embrace it near as well as Sammy was embracing it. And I think that was part of, uh, you know, that was part of the plan that Sammy says, well, take some of the pressure off me. I'll put it all on him. And I'll get the reporters to go down and talk with him and let let, let him deal with them. But, uh, you know, it was, I only saw it from one point of view. That was, that was Sammy's point of view. And, again, it was wildly entertaining. Plus, we were in St. Louis when Mark hit that line drive that just barely cleared the fence. Um, was that number 62, I believe? Yep. Um, and uh, and the, the, uh, what is it, one of the grounds crew was able to capture the baseball and bring it back to Mark. So that was, you know, that was one that we didn't know if we would get out or not. It was kind of thrilling. I mean, that we were there to actually see that. So, I mean, you know, when when you play teams as many times as you played St. Louis, because obviously the Cubs and St. Louis in the same division, you got a chance to see that chase up close and personal a lot, and it was engaging. Bobby Witt was traded to the Cardinals in the middle of the 1998 season, and described how exciting it was to be traded into Big Mac Mania and what a great teammate McGuire was. It, it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, just, just the excitement and what was going on over there. And uh, I, I previously got to play with Mark on the 84 USA team, uh, the Olympic team, actually, and then in Oakland. So I knew him and I knew Tony. And uh, so there was a little bit of uh, a few of the other guys over there, too. Uh, Dave Duncan, you know, he was my pitching coach in Oakland. So I, I had a little familiarity with those with those guys and uh, just getting over there there was a lot of excitement a lot of buzz especially with what Mac was doing that year he was doing he was doing things that you know you just didn't expect I mean there was it, what he would do is I think when he broke the National League record um, he was getting like when they would rub up the baseballs the umpires before the game there were so many balls that they would rub up he was he was taking the balls that weren't used in that game and, and actually pers- you know personalizing a ball to each player um, that that was on the team that year and putting it in their locker room, just doing little things like that. And anytime, you know, he was just getting inundated with autograph requests and things like that. But you never saw him 
you know, if he didn't hit up, you know, I, I think Mac was still, with all this going on, he was still a team guy, and he's always been like, he wanted what was best for the team. So it was hard to deflect a lot of that, but I mean, he did an incredible job of just going about his business and not worrying, you know, I mean, obviously I thought he put the team first, and then, you know, obviously, you know, trying to hit the home, trying to hit home runs, but I mean, if he had a game or two where he just hit me, it just, you know, it wasn't something where you saw panic or anything like that. He was just in a place where he was just, you know, knowing what he was trying to accomplish, and it was just amazing. It's hard to get like that, but he was there and he was locked in, and that was something that, um, you know, I remember him just, you know, he's he's always been, I think, a great teammate, uh, no doubt about that. We'll have more on McGuire when we return to Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN as we continue to relive some of the great moments throughout the last couple of weeks leading up to long gone summer. You'll see that on Sunday night on ESPN. Let's hear from Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosellock. He joined Ribs and BK and talked about his memory of the summer of 1998. Yeah, so at that time in, in 98, my real day-to-day job was, was, was really working with the amateur scouting department. So it's sort of ironic we're talking uh, on draft day. But, um, and, and back then, the, as the draft would happen in, in early June, you would still be extremely busy throughout the summer trying to get players signed, uh, get them out. And, and so the world was a little different than you see today. But that was like my main focus. But I still you know, got to sit next to Mr. Jockety during baseball games. I was still um, having access to the Major League Club. And you know, watching that unfold, you know, needless to say, it was historic. But I think what, what I remember most was late summer, I would be out traveling to minor league cities and, and so forth or amateur tournaments and catching up with people that weren't necessarily involved in baseball, but yet they were so engaged in what was happening. And think back to that time when you picked up a newspaper, um, really about late August on, usually on the cover of the newspaper, there was a picture of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And just a brief update on what they did that night that past night and they became so captivating not only though here in the United States but almost globally and really what that did for the game was was really sort of jolted forward it was like exactly what the game needed given what happened with the work stoppage in 94 95 and you know the, the importance of their success is something that I think in a lot of ways changed the trajectory of Major League Baseball Gary Gaetti started the 98 season with the Cardinals and was traded to the Cubs in the second half of the season. Gaetti told Carriker and Smallman that joining Chicago was like leaving one circus only to join another. Well, it was different, you know, with the Cardinals because I really, you know, wasn't going that great as, you know, as a team. And then the Cubs, the excitement was all about the Cubs making it to the playoffs, you know. And I ended up over there late in the season, so it was a lot more emphasis on you know the games and and um, 
Yet it, the focus during batting practice and uh, you know the downtimes and stuff like that. I mean, the games were still good, but the batting practice was just a, it's like a riot. It, it was just how far is this guy going to hit one? And I mean, it was. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it was just like going from one circus to another. While Big Mac has been accepted back into the Cardinal family, the same cannot be said for Sammy Sosa. David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 joined me on Scoops a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I think that's very sad. You know, I used to have the opinion that, hey man, you have to apologize before they'll bring you back. And the reason for that was, from what I'd been told, Sammy wanted a job working for the organization. And then I got a phone call from Sammy three years ago, April. So it's been three years. Sammy calls me and says, hey, man, can you fly down here and interview me? Of course. Get on a plane, fly to his amazing two-story penthouse at the top of this incredible building on the intercoastal waterway in Florida. And we do like an hour and a half. And I tried a billion different ways off air to convince him that he should be honest, apologize for doing whatever it is he did, and he said, no, you have no tests on me, you have never proven that I took anything, and so he wouldn't, but he did apologize for leaving at the end of the season the last day when Dusty was the manager, but he claimed he had permission from Dusty, Uh, and we, I mean, I asked him every possible question, and then I said, okay, if you want Tom Ricketts to let you back, You have to play by his rules if you want a job. He said, let me set the record straight. I don't want a nickel from them. I've made a ton of money. I'm a very successful businessman. I don't need any of his money. I just want to feel like I'm welcome back in the organization. Because the sad thing is, Danny, and you saw it all, that guy hit a billion home runs. He made a ton of money packing the Cubs stadium, Wrigley. And then the ratings on TV were were ridiculous. And it's like he never played there. Like, literally, they do the convention. They do different celebrities throwing out first pitches and singing the seventh inning stretch. And it's like he never wore that uniform. And I think that's incredibly sad. The Last Dance documentary really put into perspective the legend of Michael Jordan. Chip Carey joined me on Scoops and noted that for one summer, Sosa was on Jordan's level. For one summer, Sammy Sosa was as popular and as big as Michael Jordan was because of the million megawatt smile because of the incredible accomplishments that he was doing because he was trying to lead the cubs franchise out of the the doldrums of really bad baseball teams since 1989 uh and he did it i don't want to say single-handedly but he did it on a huge national stage and got the team to the playoffs and for that uh the the postseason starved fans in chicago uh came to love and embrace him the individual achievement went to big mac that year but the cubs they flipped the script that season on their team success again chip carey it just seems sort of fitting that for so many years the cubs always played second fiddle to the cardinals in the standings uh that, that you know sammy was probably resigned to being along for the ride and i think that's why he felt that most of the pressure was on mcguire because he led the race head to head most of the summer but uh it would have been nice it would have been a feather in the cap but ultimately the biggest accomplishment was the cubs went to the playoffs and i think uh, sammy was very happy about that as well when we come back you'll hear from mark mcguire in his interview with Carriker and smallman yesterday you're listening to scoops with danny mack on 101 espn more of what you want to hear scoops with danny mack in podcast form on 101 espn
This is Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. As promised, here's Big Mac, Mark McGuire, in his interview with Carriker and Smallman yesterday. It is a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome former Cardinal slugger, world champion, hitting coach, uh, Cardinal Hall of Famer, Mark McGuire, with the big documentary coming out on Sunday night. We wanted to get in touch with Big Mac. Good to have you with us. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing really good. It's That's great to hear. And uh, last time I had a chance to see you, I think, was when you came in for the Hall of Fame a few years ago. And it's great to see you, and it'll be great to see you on Sunday night back in the Cardinal Red. How excited are you yeah. about seeing the, the documentary on Sunday? Yeah, uh, yeah, it brings back a lot of great memories, of course. I mean, it's just... Uh, and in light of what's going on with the the baseball world right now, trying to work things out and... You know, you know, for uh, what happened that year to <clears throat> to bring the fans back after the '94 strike, um, just to electrify St. Louis and in the baseball world, it was. Uh, I got a chance to see the rough cut of it um, just before the pandemic. Um, AJ uh, showed me it, and um, it was really it was emotional. Um, I'm sure he's uh, he's crossed a few more T's and dotted a few more I's to uh, finish up the project, but um, it was it, it was really cool. You know, it's been it's not like I sit and look at videos and do uh, read articles about that. You know, twenty some odd years ago, and so I found myself uh, getting caught up in the moment. So cool. It should be really really good for the fans of baseball and especially the fans in St. Louis to reminisce from twenty some odd years ago. So, Mark, you participated in the interviews. You said you've watched the rough cuts and you got caught up in the moment. What sort of emotions were you feeling as you watched it unfold in, in the rough cut? Well, it's uh, it's more or less, you know, I mean, think about it. So <clears throat> in 1987, when I was a rookie and, um, and I, I had 33 home runs at the All-Star break, they tabbed me at that year. They tabbed me the guy. I was the guy that was going to break Roger Maris's record. Um, fast forward um, eleven years later, um, and it happened. Um, you know, uh, just putting myself back in that batter's box, seeing the video, understanding what was going through my mind, um, understanding how how difficult it was to. Uh, to constantly just keep talking to myself and my psychology of, of just the, uh, the mindset that I had to be in, you know, that's where, uh, I think that's where it separated uh, myself from, from Sammy, as far as finishing up on top. I mean, I could not allow him to, you know, he, he tied it, he came in and got it. And then he, he could have finished the season with the record, and I just mentally and physically could not allow that to happen. So I had to go to another space in my mind. And it's a space where I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people that play sports have never reached it. Um, it is possible. Um, there's, there's a few athletes that can get there, specifically Michael Jordan and Kobe and Tiger Woods, to say a few of them. Um, it's just a, it's a mindset where, you you just don't know what's going on around you. Um, you, you it's just like you're floating, um, but you totally understand what your body's trying to do. Um, and it was a lot of hard work. Um, I got to that position just by failure. 
basically, you know, the years that I had in Oakland <clears throat> that weren't very good and going through a lot of uh, injuries, you know, I had to really deep uh, dig deep down inside to really understand who I was as a person and how strong I could get mentally. Um, and it just, it just fell into place. And, um, I, 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 I mean, I, that's where, that's where the, the, the emotions come out because, you know, when you, it's just, it's, when you put yourself in that position, you know how difficult it was. Uh, and it might seem easy when somebody's there watching it, <clears throat> and especially when the media was asking me <laughs> on a daily basis, why didn't you hit a home run? Because it looked so easy, um, but it wasn't. Um, and this, the outside distractions of every day at the ballpark with the 50, 75, and possibly hundreds of media on a given day to constantly ask you the same question time and time again. Um, it was it was difficult as far as trying to take care of that. But when I got on the field, I was in my sanctuary and. Um, and believe me, it's uh, that's where again, that's where the emotions came out because it's not like I sit and watch that stuff on a daily basis. And and when I saw some videos, and and trust me, it's it was it's it's when you go back that far, you know, HD didn't really exist, you know. So it's <laughs> the videos were a little bit of fuzzy. Um, so yeah, it was it's really good. I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, and it's uh, especially where we are today with trying to try to get the game of baseball back on the field. Um, it's uh, hopefully it puts a lot of smiles and and um, you know a lot of a lot of kids that were kids back then and are now grown ups uh, bring them back to that spot. Mark, as you're recounting this, all I can think of is the pressure that surrounds that moment. People tab you to break this record before the season starts. You talk about the media that you have to deal with before and after every game. People are there during batting practice waiting to see something spectacular. (laughs) Then you get on the field knowing that Sammy may have hit a home run and you're tasked with giving everyone a show. And you talk about going to this place mentally that you had to be at to be able to execute this. But did you feel that pressure? And if you did and how were you able to block that out? Take us into your mind on how you would approach every game. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of meditation. Um, I, I was known for going into the <laughs> the doctors at a private room with a with a table, and I would I would go into that room and and I would take my fifteen to twenty minute uh, meditation nap, if you want to call it. And um, I was so into visualization because I trusted my eyes so much. And the thing is, is when you, when, you know, you know, baseball is a visual thing. Yes. It's, it takes the physical ability to do it, but you have the eye set to do it. And, and when you can visually and mentally prepare yourself, the physical stuff just sort of falls into place. And so that's where the thing is, is I, I, when I would take these uh, so-called meditation naps, I was visualizing what I was going to try to do. I was putting myself in that position before that, before the time even existed. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a tough task to do, and it and it takes time to do that. And that's where that's where a lot of athletes don't want to do it. They they they, they don't want to spend the time. I I didn't know I could do it, um, and it just and I started doing it, and and I and I saw where I could get to, and it's. It's a, it's a space where it's like, um, 
I don't know if anybody out there knows where it's like where you're actually floating, and but you're physically walking, and it's um, it's it's an eerie feeling, but it's a space where it's just like, man, it's just, this is a is a great spot, and and you don't hear any noise, and it's so quiet, um, and peaceful. <laughs> to tell you the truth, but but on the outside, it's just like it's you know people are just. Uh, you know, like you said, like the batting practice, um, you know, I had to play a game before the game because the batting practice, you know, they started allowing the fans to come in two hours before the game and there would be 25 or 30,000 fans watching batting practice, you know. Um, and then I had to, you know, reset myself and go back and, and do my things that I needed to do. Um, you know, and then there's the stuff, you know, away from the ballpark that I would do the meditations and the, the get away from what you call the distractions. Um, you know, um, just the, uh, the amount of the attention going places and, um, you know, the autographs, the, the media, um, today doing it today. I, knowing what I went through back then, 20 some odd years ago, trying to do something like that at that level today oh my goodness gracious <laughs> I, I don't know it's just like it's just that that, that you, uh, you'd have to be somewhere else i mean i'd have to find another deeper part of my mind to go to and i know it's there um so i it's it's like it's uh i hope that answers your question michelle because it's like it's um it's sort of tough to like really sit down and like i can only feel it but I can I can definitely tell you that you can get there, and uh, you just have to allow yourself to get there. That's the thing you have to allow yourself to to get to that space. Mark McGuire is with us on 101 ESPN. The documentary, the 3430 Long Gone Summer, coming up Sunday night on ESPN TV. And Mark, I always tell people that my favorite opening day, and I love everything about Cardinal opening day, but my favorite one was 1998. You hit the grand slam off of Ramon Martinez, <laughs> and it was such a glorious day too. Does that one stick in your mind's eye? Well, yeah, well, yeah. To, it was against the hometown team, the Dodgers, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Of all, of, yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I just, re- I mean, I mean, just to go back prior to that, the, you know, the, the, yeah. I know I did a photo shoot with Sports Illustrated, you know, for the baseball preview issue, and it was they were they were tabbing it like this is the year, you know. So going into spring training, it was like this is the year it's going to be broken, like like really you know nobody knows that anything's going to happen within six months it's like if we did we we'd all be really successful right so it's just like you know doing this photo shoot realizing okay i'm going into spring training man i gotta start you know i i gotta start digging deep right now you know way before the season starts and uh, you know then going to spring training and had a nice spring training and then that opening day, of course, uh, St. Louis's opening day is the best opening day in all of baseball. It's hands down the best opening day. Though, the, the, to bring back all the, the Hall of Famers and the old timers, and it's just everybody in red. It's just the sea of red. It's just it's just such a great feeling. And to and to tap it off with a grand slam to start it off, and and then here we go. And uh, six months, it's like uh, wow, yeah, it was good. 
So, Mark, everyone said this is the season that the record will be broken. Everyone pointed to you as the guy to do it. But then comes along Sammy Sosa. When did you first notice that Sammy (laughs) was going to be your true opponent in this home run race? And did having a true opponent, somebody that you knew every night was chasing you and or somebody that could break it potentially before you fuel your fire to get this done? Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, and and, and I even I mentioned this in the in the documentary. It's like I, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't really know who Sammy was. I know he played in the major leagues, but you know, I know he was a nice player. But it just it, it Sammy's name wasn't even in the conversation. It, it was it was a, it was always me and Ken Griffey back and forth. It was me and Ken Griffey uh, for years, and. Um, and I thought if there was anybody, it was going to be Ken Griffey. And he was there for a while. Um, but it wasn't until June and where Sandy, the Sammy just went off. I mean, he hit the record-breaking 20 home runs in a month. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is crazy. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really glad he really was there because it, it, to be pushed like that, and to, to set yourself into another position and, and yeah, uh, in your mind and really just really checking yourself every night and just saying to yourself, this is, I'm not allowing this to happen. Um, it's, it's like, it sets you, it sets you apart. And, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I it's funny because Tony, I was telling Tony the last weekend against Montreal, I, I was like, Tony, I'm done, man. I'm, I'm, I'm done. He's like, Mark, we got to push it, man. And uh, there we go, you know. I, and I remember being on that field on uh, was it yeah Friday night, and and I remember the fans hearing the hearing the fans go oh, and he's in <laughs> you know he's in he's in he's in Houston. He hits a home run, and he he went ahead, and I was like wow. And I think it was like an inning later, I, you know, I tied him, um, and then I ended up hitting two on Saturday and two on Sunday, and uh, I, I just I couldn't I, I it just like. It was really amazing to just to really to to come on top, just to do it. Period. To to break Rogers uh, Maris's record, uh, to have all the things that happened on that the, that week of uh, 60, 61, 62. Um, you know that the 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 universe was lined up correctly and perfectly, and um, yeah, I was just uh, man. <laughs> I mean, I just get emotional thinking about it now. So. And and along those lines, Mark, with the emotion, it was so cool for us as fans to have Matt there. That must have been so special for you to have your son be there at an age where he knew what was going on and to have him be down on the field with you. That was you talk about emotional. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was great. You know, it's yeah. Again, it was like um, no special moment. Obviously, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, my ex-wife, Kathy and her husband, Tom were fantastic. And, you know, they were, they were there in attendance and, um, you know, so yeah, it was great. I mean, I, it's just like, there's nothing planned and it it just happened. And he ends up running there, uh, you know, home plate and we, you know, hug each other, raise them up. And it's just like, it's just something that just, it just happened. And I, I couldn't be any happier. And, I mean, right now, it's like if people, if he walked down the street in St. Louis right now, people would have no idea who he is because of how much he's grown. They just still picture this little chubby 10-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> and uh, now he's 32, and 
you know, he's a, he's a working man and he's got a fantastic job and, and, uh, very, very smart. And I'm, I couldn't be happier for him how he's, how he's just advanced as a human being and as a person. Do you have that picture but in your house? Just, what's that? Do you have that picture in yeah. your house? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I actually have a painting. Yeah, there's a painting. Somebody gave me a painting and there's a painting of me raising him up. Yeah. It's fantastic. Incredible job by Carriker and Smallman in their interview with Mark McGuire. Part two of that interview is coming up, and it comes your way next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. As we prepare for Long Gone Summer, airing this Sunday at 8 Central on ESPN, we've gone through some of the great interviews that we've had on 101 over the last couple of weeks. We'll end it with part two of Carriker and Smallman's interview with Big Mac from yesterday. Mark McGuire joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman with... Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Michelle. We've obviously been so excited for the debut of this documentary here in St. Louis. We've been having guests on our show every day to to talk about this. And everyone that we've spoken to that had played with you, they want to emphasize what a great teammate you were. And I wonder what that was like for you as such a great teammate, as a team first guy, to come in every day and have it be all about you. Not because of what you wanted, but because this was the story in baseball and the media and the game was always going to be focused on you so what was that like for you and how did you deal with that on a day-to-day basis michelle that was that was uh if there's anything that was like extremely tough that was it because i mean i think about it you play baseball you don't you don't play it's not golf you know it's not tennis you know it's 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 not one-on-one it, it's a team effort and uh you know, I was raised uh, to play this game and to to prepare yourself as an individual. But you you win as a team, you lose as a team. It takes the twenty five, the thirty, forty guys throughout the year to to win um, and to be singled out on a daily basis. That 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 bothered me. It did. Um, you know, and, and I think the thing is, is like it got to a point where. You know, some of the players that they, they, it's like, it was sort of a distance when we went away and we we're on the road and stuff, you know, cause I was getting recognized all the time. And it was just like, I had, I was always, I was basically by myself a lot, uh, just because I didn't want to uh, be a nuisance to them and to have, to be around them. And then all of a sudden people are coming and then, uh, they're, they're wanting to talk or autographs or pictures or whatever it be. And, and then, you know, my friends, the players, it just didn't, they, they weren't even acknowledged. It bothered me. Um, and then at the games, you know, it's like the nights that I didn't do anything and we won and, you know, guys had great nights. They, they, they just sort of shot. They didn't even go talk to them. You know, if they did, it was like for a second or two. And, and they wanted to come talk to me about like, why didn't you get a home run? What's going on? It's like, and I was like, I was sort of embarrassed. Um, now it's a tough thing, yeah. It was really, really tough. But I, I, you know, I really appreciate them saying that stuff because it's, it's the thing is, is like you don't really know, you don't really know at going, especially at that time, what players really think or, or have their feelings about you because 
you're in that moment and you're and I'm trying to try to juggle all this stuff that's going on in my life and trying to accommodate and make sure that you know my teammates um, are getting noticed too and sometimes they don't and I, I don't know if they were upset I don't know if they were you know um, I don't know just they just didn't care for it I, I don't know and then to hear what you said that you've had them on and yeah, it makes me feel good. Thank well, you. And Mark, I would do those post-game open lines, and then I'd stop by the clubhouse when I was done, and it'd be the clubhouse guys, it'd be Rip, and it'd be Kurt, and they would be telling me what a great guy you were. And you know you were in baseball clubhouses long enough. The clubhouse guys know everything. And they, they told me the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do, right? And they know who's a good guy <laughs> yeah, and who, who's not. Yes, they do. So, and, um, yeah. so, but I, I want to – tell the story and you can because you actually did it but after you hit the 50th home run for the third straight season you signed a baseball for every single teammate you talked about being alone but that that's a really thoughtful time-consuming gesture that that tells the story of what a teammate mark mcguire was well thank you yes i did um and i ended up i ended up signing balls for everybody uh um for milestones throughout their whole year and to uh, to be quite honest with you, um, I didn't keep one piece of anything through the '98 season. Wow! My batting gloves, my my shoot, my cleats, um, uniform parts, T-shirts, uh, stuff. I think the only thing I kept was my glove, my bat, my first baseman's glove, my hat, my everything. I I gave those with autographs on the specific days and things I did throughout the year to players, coaches, managers, um, you know, whoever it may be, um, you know, uh, front office personnel from other ball clubs. It's just, I wanted them to have uh, that as a memory because I already, the memory is already with me in my mind. So it's like for them to have a piece of that, I thought it was more important than me keeping it. Uh, now, 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 fast forward now having my family now with my my five children. You know, now they're like, Dad, won't you have this stuff? I'm like, oh, well, I go, I just said, I go, well, you guys didn't exist back in those days. You know, I didn't even know your I didn't even know your mother at the time. So, you know, I just you know you can't fast forward that fast. You know, so, but uh, that's just the way I that's just the way I, you know I am as a person. It's like. Um, you know, I always think of other people before me. So, Mark, yesterday Sammy was on the air in Chicago, and he was asked about how he would react to people that say, oh, uh, this chase wasn't legitimate. And uh, it's my favorite. 62 is my favorite event that I've ever been at, and I can't retroactively change my emotions. I, I loved it. Right. And I saw the balls. I was there for every game, and I saw the balls go over the fence. So, how do you react when somebody says oh, '98 was great, but I feel differently about well, it now because it wasn't legit? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Come walk in my shoes and tell me it's not legit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's crazy. It's just, uh, I mean, it's it, I, it's, it's I'm I'm almost like speechless even to comment on that. It's. Uh, it's we talked about it before. It's like they have, people are going to make comments like that. They're always going to have these naysayers that are going to say things. Um, you know, it's to 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 hit a baseball is the toughest thing to do in sport alone. 
uh, to, to, to try to break a record like that, to set yourself apart from each, uh, any, anybody in the history of the game as far as a single-season home run record, uh, to where your mind can go. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty legit. Um, it's, it's crazy to think um, that, that it's, uh, yeah, things have happened since then, yes, okay, I've, I've talked about that, but to understand that um, where you can go with your mind and you have to hit a baseball, uh, nothing, nothing is going to, nothing can do that other than you, yourself, and your eyes and your mind. No doubt. Two more quick things, Mark. Number one, we talked a, a lot about this season. Would you classify that season for you as fun? There was parts, yeah, very fun, yes. There was parts very fun. Um, you know, thinking back now and, and, you know, it's, you know, Randy, it's like, it's, I think the the biggest thing is like, it's like, the thing is about baseball, it's an everyday thing. So it's really the only sport that plays every day. So we get to run into the media and fans at the stadium on an everyday basis. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like if if I I don't know how I can make it any more funner than um, than it was because it was I know it was fun, but yeah, but I I had to be serious at the time. I couldn't be sitting there going, oh, I'm just gonna just wing it. I just I'm not that kind of a person built inside. It's like I, I'm not gonna wing anything. I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna process it. Um, you know, I I know what I needed to do mentally. Um, yeah, I, I I've, I've thought about that. Like, how can I how can I make this any funner about like just dealing with the media? I I don't know if there's any other way to do it because we have to we have to talk to the media and see everybody on an everyday basis, and that's a tough task to do when they're constantly asking the same questions every day. Hey. Brother, to you, where if I was a football player or a basketball player where I had a few days off and I could think about things to get away from it, maybe I come in with a, you know, maybe I should write some jokes or something and get people to start laughing sooner. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Here, I, I can tell so, you, you, I, I decided in April that you had no chance. There was an election here in St. Louis, and I'm there. You, you hit a home run, and I want to talk baseball. And some news person says, "Mark, how do you feel about a gun law that's going to be voted on here in St. Louis?" <laughs> no. I, I, and you, you I, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I knew you had no chance no. that season. <laughs> he said, yeah. well, "Come on, you're, you're a California resident." <laughs> yeah, right. A gun law. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, for a guy, I, I'm afraid of. I'm both things scare me. So it's like, uh, I, I don't, that's, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, in, 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 it's like to try to, to, to do something at that magnitude with today with the social media and, you know, just the, the, you know, just the, the hatred that people do on social media today is just ridiculous. And, and it's just, uh, you know, I, I just, I've never been on social media. I don't care to ever be on social media. I don't, my kids don't have social media and it's just like the amount of things that people say today, um, you know, it, the negativity is just outweighs everything mm-hmm. where back then, you know, you, you had to listen to the radio or, or do, uh, listen to a TV show or what, or read in the paper. If somebody was going to be on you today, it's just so right there. 
Um, and it's unfortunate because that can really deteriorate uh, somebody's uh, feelings about really trying to, to be successful and try to take it to another level and whatever they want to be in because of, because of what's going on today. I and mean, it's just sort of sad. You couldn't have said it any better than that. Hey, we want to ask you one more question, and it revolves around the 2011 postseason when you were the Cardinal hitting coach. David Free stopped by about a month ago and was talking about how Tony was getting ready to bench him. He was struggling, and you, uh, for lack of a better term, went to bat for David Freeze. Do you remember that? Yeah. What happened? What did he say? He, he said he say? that he said that Tony wanted to bench him, and you said no. I, he's he's right there. He's ready to go, and, yeah. and and then he he took off. Well, you know, I it's it's funny because it's like you know, I, as a hitter, I was self taught, so I, I I can see things that I, I think a lot of hitting coaches, especially they hitting coaches, can't see, and and I know that feeling. Um, and and it, to me, to me, it's not about getting a hit every day. It's about the repetition and where you're putting your body every every time you're swinging the bat, every time you take a pitch, your work inside the cage before the game, maybe sometimes after the game. And, and when you can see somebody that's that's online and maybe not getting some hits, you just know it's a ma- it's a matter of one pitch. It's a matter of one swing. And I and and with David to me it was that was it and and like people were like well he's struggling I'm like no he's not watch and it's like I can see those things and and something that I, I try to instill in my kids today I said it's not about getting a, it's not about getting a hit every day it's about you having the repetition of that same swing in the same lines that you are going to be you're ready to go and it, sometimes it doesn't work out. You have to understand the guy on the mound is getting paid a lot of money to get you out. <laughs> you know he's not going to throw you a cookie every time. You know, and and hitters hitters make a lot of money on pitchers' mistakes. And there's times throughout the the season that pitchers are not going to give you mistakes, and that's just the given. So that being said, when you're doing your work and you watch somebody swing, if they are online and they they might think they're off, and I'm keep telling them they're not. And it's a matter of one pitch, and that's what I saw. And he went off, and, and David just, I mean, historical, historical postseason. Um, and <laughs> on top of it, just one wonderful, great human being. Yeah, and uh, a, a huge, obviously, like you, member of Cardinal history and a, a great member of the Cardinal alumni. Mark, we can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. We're so looking forward to Sunday night and watching the documentary and reliving 1998, and we're so thrilled that you did it with us here today. Well, I really appreciate it, Randy, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, let me give a shout-out to my my uh, father-in-law, Bob. He just he, uh, had knee replacement today, so uh, he... Uh, he was recovering well, and give him a shout-out to him and tell him we missed him out here in California. That was Mark McGuire with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Thank you to everyone that's tuned in today. Our producer, Colin Surrey, who did an incredible job putting this together. We'll be back on Monday, 10 a.m. from 10 to 11. Ribs and BK is next on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.